This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. Six more Chinese police stations operating in the U.S., spanning from California to New York and in between. But the facilities extend beyond American borders, too. Spain-based human rights watchdog Safeguard Defenders, noting there are over a hundred of these Chinese overseas stations operating in 53 countries. Human rights groups and U.S. officials raising concerns that they are used to harass and intimidate Chinese dissidents. Old China maintains they simply help Chinese nationals with their documents and driver's licenses. To start the program, we have an announcement to make. NTD has the unique honor and privilege of publishing the second article by teacher Li Hongzhi, Why the Creator Seeks to Save All Life. This after the first, titled How Humankind Came to Be. Mr. Li is the founder of Falun Gong, also known as Falun Dafa. The spiritual practice focuses on truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. On top of bringing our viewers uncensored and unbiased news, we also promote what we believe embodies universal values to uplift our audience. If you would like to read how humankind came to be and why the Creator seeks to save all life, you can find them on our website, ntd.com. Six more Chinese police stations operating in the U.S. The New York Post, citing the Spain-based nonprofit Safeguard Defenders, says aside from New York, there are other stations in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Houston, Nebraska, and Minnesota. They're part of a global network. Safeguard Defenders, noting there are over 100 of these Chinese overseas stations operating in 53 countries. As for what they're for, the Chinese regime maintaining they help overseas Chinese with their driver's licenses. But not everyone agrees. The secret police station appears to have had a more sinister use. The FBI arrested two people this week for operating a secret police station on behalf of the Chinese regime in the heart of Manhattan. That's according to the Justice Department, which has ramped up probes into what it calls transnational repression by adversaries such as China to intimidate political opponents living in the United States. Officials say the arrested men allegedly tracked down and terrorized a pro-democracy activist living in California. Details from a Twitter account show that the two joined protests against Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen during her recent visit to the U.S. One sign reads, Tsai Ing-wen is a big trader of China. Worth noting, communist China has never ruled Taiwan. Tsai Ing-wen is the island's democratically elected leader. Beijing's foreign ministry spokesman has denied the existence of these police stations, calling the accusations complete political manipulation. But a number of Chinese state-run media outlets and local authorities in China have been reporting on them. A local notice from a southern Chinese city touts the presence of these overseas police stations, stating, We treat every overseas 110 call for help as if it were a domestic call and strive to solve the case as soon as possible and give the victim a satisfactory solution. We cannot and will not tolerate the Chinese government's persecution of pro-democracy activists who have sought refuge in this country. 
Besides the two men arrested, prosecutors also charged 34 Chinese officials for allegedly operating a digital troll farm and harassing dissidents online, including by disrupting meetings on U.S. technology platforms. They also added eight Chinese state officials as defendants in a case announced in 2020. It involves a former China-based executive of Zoom. They say the executive disrupted video meetings commemorating the 1989 Tiananmen Square protests, a topic the Chinese regime deems sensitive and scrubs from the Chinese web. Stephania Cox, host of NTD's Evening News, spoke with Levi Browdy, executive director of the Falmondafa Information Center. For years, he's been documenting the CCP's targeting and harassment of Falun Gong practitioners on U.S. soil. Browdy called the arrests of the two people related to the Chinese police outpost in New York encouraging. He added Falun Gong practitioners have faced targeting for more than 20 years, be it death threats, physical assaults, home invasions, online harassment, pressure on their livelihoods, even threats to family members back in China. Here's what he had to say. We have a Falun Gong practitioner who at the time was helping pioneer software so that people inside China could reach the free internet. He was in his home in suburban Atlanta. A couple of Asian men knocked on his door pretending to be delivery men for water, broke in, beat him up, wrapped him in a blanket, and took nothing from his home but computers. So that's one example. Another example here in New York City, actually. Um, some years ago, there was a huge mob that was organized to assault verbally abuse and sort of harass Falun Gong practitioners right there on the streets of New York City for many days. Later on, undercover investigators caught the New, the New York Consul General at the time uh, working in the consulate saying that he actually went to Chinatown and encouraged these groups to go after Falun Gong and he's the one who started it all. Over in Canada, the federal police, or RCMP, are looking into a number of locations across the country suspected of operating as secret Chinese police stations. They told NTD that they are currently investigating the incident and are aware that foreign states may seek to intimidate or harm communities or individuals within Canada. At the end of last year, human rights organization Safeguard Defenders identified four illegal Chinese police stations in Canada. The RCMP later confirmed that two of them are located in Quebec and the cities of Montreal and Brossard. An exiled Chinese protester emerging to break the silence surrounding China's pandemic-driven protests. He shares the story of how he fled his home country after China's blank paper movement erupted and how months trapped inside with little food and false promises drove the protests. Dazed and afraid, Yi Cheng Huang barely managed to escape arrest in Shanghai last November. He had been participating in one of many protests, calling for an end to China's strict COVID-19 lockdowns. Hello everyone, my name is Yi Cheng Huang. I'm 26 years old. Uh, I took part in the blank paper movement of November 2022. I was detained and now I flee away from China and now in Germany. Mass protests have been unprecedented during Chinese leader Xi Jinping's decade in power. But after three years of stay-at-home orders, the uproar spread like a wildfire across the country. Some background, pandemic-driven lockdowns looked much different in China than what much of the world experienced in 2020. Our life is without dignity, and it's like a very, very painful experience. We don't have food to eat, 
we can't go outside of the apartment uh, for about uh, nearly three months. And uh, the government is cheating us. Like they first say that we are only going to lock you down for three days. And at the last, they lock us down for three months, nearly three months, and many people died during the lockdown. Huang says that anger bubbled over on November 27th. That evening, the four or 500 member protests started out peaceful. Demonstrators chanted slogans and held up blank sheets of paper as symbols of their discontent. But after nightfall... Police started violently arresting protesters. I was put upside down and my chin is on the ground, cement ground, and my uh, shoes and uh, glasses were lost uh, in the Urumuchi Road, middle Urumuchi Road. And uh, at that uh, one minute is the most uh, frightened minute in my life. He also witnessed police slapping and beating several female protesters. Huang managed to sneak out unnoticed amid the chaos. Afterward, he kept a low profile and lived in extreme fear of arrest. His German visa arrived months later, and he left China in March without having been contacted by the police. But Huang says he took a strong sense of survivor's guilt with him. Why should they in jail and I am in, I'm in freedom? And uh, I think the one who is in jail might be me. It's very possible that now it's me that in jail. Chinese police suppressed the cross-country protests in a matter of days. Many demonstrators faced interrogation and arrest. Some were held for less than 24 hours, with others detained for several weeks. I have the responsibility to devote my, devote my life to the uh, fight of, for freedom. The world should stand with Chinese people instead of stand with Chinese government, because the world should uh, notice the reality that Chinese people, a uh, Chinese government, is harshly cracked down its own people. China has not commented officially on the protests. Huang is one of the first to publicly reveal his identity after the vast majority of protesters fell silent under the threat of retribution. Beyond TikTok, more popular Chinese apps are finding themselves under a microscope. Now, Congress is taking aim at Timu and Shine. NTD's Sean Marshall has more. Congress has added apps Timu and Xi'an to the list of Chinese apps targeted for their potential risks. The apps are popular for offering clothing and products at unbeatable cheap prices. The apps made a list of concerns in a nine-page report by the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission, or USCC. For some reference... Xi'an became the most talked about brand on TikTok and YouTube in 2022. And Timu saw a 45% surge in downloads on the day it ran ads during the Super Bowl in February. Timu has replicated Xi'an's process of quickly manufacturing and shipping clothing to the U.S. consumers. Some concerns on what the USCC report calls the Chinese fast fashion industry are... Its economic model, intellectual property theft, cybersecurity risks, the impact of Chinese e-commerce firms like Xi'an on U.S. businesses, and forced labor possibility. Xi'an has sourced clothing from China's Xinjiang region, but failed to document that it was not a product of forced labor. A requirement under the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, the report said citing an investigation by Bloomberg News in November. 
both Sheehan and Timu have also been involved in legal disputes for replicating U.S. clothing brand designs. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Europe's top diplomat is alluding to China's growing influence. The European Union's foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, addressing the parliament that Europe should not stop engaging with China. That's despite being in, quote, rival mode. We should not refuse to collaborate with China in solving major global problems just because China is not a democracy. He pointed to issues like climate and countries buried under excessive debt. There's no solution to those problems without China's participation and collaboration. China is a superpower, a superpower that is growing, that is present everywhere in the world, whose influence is considerable. The remark comes after Beijing successfully brokered a deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia. The rivalry between the two had been one of the thorniest issues in the Middle East. French President Emmanuel Macron also told Chinese leader Xi Jinping that he was counting on him to end the war in Ukraine. As for Taiwan, Borrell said it's in the EU's interest to defend the island, but it should do so without adding fuel to the fire. Greg Copley, president of the International Strategic Studies Association, says Borrell is focused on the short term. Copley said Europe has gotten used to easy money from Chinese investments over the past few decades, but added that all powers rise and fall with some predictability. China overtook the U.S. as the EU's largest trading partner in 2021, with two-way trade standing at over $700 billion. And the People's Republic of China is running out of cash, is not going to be the great investment and trading partner which the European Union saw 20 years ago or which they hoped would continue forever. He said efforts to placate Beijing would only feed the regime's bullying behavior towards the rest of the world and that France and Germany should deal with Beijing on equal terms, not from a position of making requests. Beijing and Moscow are forging closer military ties. During a visit to Russia, Chinese Defense Minister Li Shangfu said China is looking to foster a stronger partnership. He met with Russian President Putin over the weekend. The meeting was an unexpectedly high-profile reception, as he was only slated to speak with his Russian counterpart. Li has been under U.S. sanctions since 2018 over the purchase of combat aircraft and equipment from Russia's main arms exporter. Here's how that meeting played out. Li was appointed defense minister of the Chinese regime last month. He said the first congratulatory message he received came from Russia counterpart. After my appointment to the position of defense minister, my first visit was paid namely to Russia to show the outer world the high level of development of Chinese-Russian relations. And it was designed to show the firm readiness to boost strategic cooperation between the armed forces of China and Russia. He vowed to bring the two countries' military cooperation to a new level. His four-day visit to Russia began with a meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin last Sunday. Russia hailed their partnership as having a so-called stabling influence on the global situation. China's latest move following its ready-to-fight claim. Beijing is rolling out new regulations for recruiting soldiers during wartime. Here are the details. China's defense ministry revises draft provisions, with new rules taking effect next month. For the first time, the regulations add a separate section on wartime conscription, 
Under it, the CCP's highest executive and military body would hand troop draft responsibility to local government. The two bodies can also adjust recruitment arrangements in times of war. What's more, citizens receiving a draft notice must enlist on time and at the designated location, otherwise they face punishment. The amendment places the focus on preparing for war and calling up high-caliber recruits. Top on the draft list are retired military personnel and educated college students. But for parents, the policies change might spell bad news. Most families have only one or two kids because of the one-child policy. No one would send their children to die. We can't even secure our own jobs. All that talk about defending the country is a lie. Are these new rules a warm-up for the invasion of Taiwan? A military expert says not necessarily. I think this amendment looks more like a show for other countries. If the CCP were really readying for war, they would have done far more pre-work than simply revising the law. But analysts say Beijing is indeed updating its legal system to brace for potential conflict. That's as tensions escalate in the South China Sea and Taiwan Strait. At least 29 people are dead in Beijing after a hospital fire ignited there Tuesday. Dozens were forced to evacuate, and authorities quickly scrubbed photos and videos of the incident from social media. Here's the latest. Clouds of black smoke billowed into the sky. A video shows people trapped in the building, climbing out windows using bedsheets tied together. Others took refuge by perching on air conditioning units. The fire broke out at Beijing's private Changfeng Hospital. State media reported at least 71 patients were rescued. 39 are being treated for injuries, and over 140 people were evacuated from air conditioning units on the building's exterior. The cause of the fire is under investigation. Officials believe it sparked from welding work being done in the inpatient wing. Most of the building appeared to be without power late yesterday, with only a few windows lit up by the flashlights of workers inside. 26 out of the 29 deaths were patients from the hospital. Coming up, Taiwan is holding its place in the spotlight. Support for the island now coming from both the U.S. and Europe. We sat down with James Gorey, author of The China Crisis, for more on the situation. His comments after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Taiwan still making headlines. But what's so critical about the Indo-Pacific island? And how firm are the Taiwanese people in resisting threats from Beijing? We spoke to James Gorey, author of The China Crisis, for more. He's also a contributor to the Epoch Times. James Gorey, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Tiffany. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. So Taiwan is in the headlines a lot. Chinese leader Xi Jinping has been talking about preparing his military for actual combat and a potential Taiwan invasion by the year 2027. And it seems, you know, we have Mike Gallagher, head of the House Select Committee on the CCP. He's mentioning we're in a new Cold War. So if we're looking at what's happening right now, you have China with nuclear weapons, the U.S. with nuclear weapons, Taiwan kind of being the sticking point between them. Is there any precedent in history about what we're seeing unfolding right now? 
Uh, yes, there is. Uh, you know, it's been compared to kind of this European tripwire um, template, but I think a much more uh, much more clear-cut example would be the Cuban Missile Crisis. The, the, you know, Cuba's relationship to the Soviet Union. Um, if you look at it, the striking, there are some striking similarities between Taiwan and, and Cuba. Both are islands, ob obviously, off the coast of a major superpower. Um, both are ideological, political, and military thorns in the side of that superpower. Um, Cuba was a, an ally of the Soviet Union, um, and obviously Taiwan's an ally of the U.S., and both have their distant allies pledged to defend them one way or the other. I mean, there's some ambiguity still in the U.S., but, um, um, you know, both are strategic in a way. Taiwan is strategic, uh, and Cuba was strategic. So um, we can go into that a little further, but I think looking at the Cuban Missile Crisis, the deployment of navies and the, the blockade of the island and so forth, I think we could see something along those lines develop, and it, I think it may already be developing, actually. I want to get to the missiles part, but first, James, you mentioned the strategic importance of Taiwan. So what is that importance? Well, Taiwan is strategically uh, strategic for the rest of the world. Their chips, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation, they create the chips that basically AI runs on, that um, advanced guidance systems, advanced computers run on. Um, China must have them. The, the rest of the world needs them as well. So. There's that very strategic component that um, that is undeniably there, and it's, it's I, the irony is it's on Taiwan. <laughs> it's, why isn't it somewhere else? I don't know, but that's where it is. And um, it's also strategic to the Chinese in that um, Taiwan proves to the Chinese people that the, the CCP really isn't necessary. So it's an ideological thorn side. Um, it's a military ally of the U.S., and that impinges it on the CCP's prestige and, and, and kind of their claim of being, you know, uh, all-powerful and um, unapproachable. Um, and what's more, it's, it's, a, it's a military ally of the U.S. And one could arguably say that it's the keystone to the U.S.-Asia Security Pact, um, Asia-Pacific Security Pact. The Japanese certainly think so. And James, on the ideological front, why is Taiwan such an issue for the Chinese regime? Because if you look at Taiwan's official name, it's the Republic of China. The Chinese Communist Party has never ruled Taiwan. So what is the issue here? Well, the issue is legitimacy. Um, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, um, is if, if it were a legitimate uh, uh, government, then they wouldn't have to have the the security state, the surveillance state, the the slave prison state that they have. That's just that's just the reality. So um, the, the CCP rules out of fear and oppression, and the people in Taiwan um, aren't ruled out of fear and oppression. And quite frankly, they're on a per capita basis, they're doing much better than the Chinese and the this, the, the mainland China. So. Um, it's a it, it, look. It's the it's the antidote to, to the CCP. It's it's their kryptonite, right? Why why should we have to do what the CCP says Taiwan isn't, and they're doing great? Why can't we do that? So the CCP, and quite frankly, Xi Jinping has staked his reputation on quote unquote reuniting China, right, by bringing them to heel. First Hong Kong, and now the CCP, and now the CCP wants to do that same with Taiwan, and that's his. He's basically made a claim that that's what's going to happen. 
And James, speaking of that freedom or ideology, ideology that you see in Taiwan, it seems when we look at the Russian invasion of Ukraine, what really surprised the world was the Ukrainians' resilience, right? That's why the U.S. came in and provided all that help. In terms of a Beijing invasion of Taiwan, do you see that same level of resilience from the Taiwanese people? Um, I, I think I would. I think I think it, we, we, we certainly should um, if they know that they have people behind them. I think there's that. That's as I said. I'm referencing what I said earlier. I think there's a demoralization strategy that the Chinese, that Beijing is playing. They want to demoralize, and you know, have the the Taiwanese and the rest of the of the Asia Pacific think that the U.S. is no longer capable of defending them, uh, much less willing to. And that's the so you know they they'd rather take over Taiwan without a shot, and they may give them some kind of special zoning, special treatment promise whatever they need to promise them. But I think that would be the ideal for, for the Chinese is let's just take it over without a shot and we'll let the U.S. declare war. Let them fire the first shot, if, you know, crossing our blockade and see how well that plays. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.